Hi, welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's podcast covering the world of comics and graphic novels. I'm Heidi McDonald, the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly, and also the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. Check us out on all social media at PW Comics World. Today we are recording from the offices of Mad Magazine. Now, how jealous are you? I am here. Uh, I've barely survived the laughter that I've had as I've, as I've come to the office, and now I'm in the inner sanctum of editor John Fakara, who has been guiding this ship of lunacy for many years. How long, John? I think guiding's the wrong word. <laughs> not, not to start off with a misstatement right away. <laughs> driving it off a cliff, I think, might be a more accurate well, term. Well, there you go. Well, we're here, actually, to talk about uh, the, the occasion of the release of Spy vs. Spy, an explosive celebration um, published by Liberty... Street, and this is coming out next week as you hear this. It'll be on sale immediately afterwards. Uh, this is a full color collection of this strip by Antonio Projas, correct? That is correct, yes. Okay, so what is the occasion of this book? What is it? What well, is we the- sort of stumbled into it. Um, I guess about 10, 12 years ago, we started, as we always do, we republishing stuff that we had done previously, and we started colorizing it because with the advent right. of come computer colorization that made it a lot easier and we first thought well we won't do the spies because it's black and white it, mm-hmm. it, it would be ridiculous to do the spies in color but we did some and we realized that as great as they looked at black and white color brought them to a whole mm-hmm. different level so it's long been a dream of mine to get them done uh, particularly the Proheuses and um, we have a partnership with Time Books which is Liberty Street and I pitched it to them and pitched it to them, and finally they bit. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, we're really happy with it. We were lucky that we got one colorist to do the entire book, someone who had done some of the earlier ones, for the other repackaging, uh, Carrie Strahan. Mm-hmm. And she just does a really masterful job of varying the coloring, but making it her own and pro his. It's, mm-hmm. it's a re- it was just a perfect marriage as far as we were concerned. Did he ever do any strips in color at all? There was Never strips, but he did some paperback books mm-hmm. that were in color. And they were very vibrant colors, almost garish. Uh, really just popped off the newsstand when you when you saw them. Mm-hmm. Now, these are the strips that appeared in the magazine. So Correct. these are the monthly, the regular monthly strips. Yes. As they, as they appeared. Um, well, you know, flipping through it, it is indeed a delightful book. And, and uh, can, you know, with this classic comic strip... But, um, you know, who was Antonio Projas? There's, there is a lovely autobiographical autobiogra- strip about him by the great Sergio Aragones in the book. So if you read that, you will find out. But uh, if you don't have the book, tell us a little bit about who this guy was. Projas, he was a wonderful man. I, I was fortunate enough to have been here for, I guess, about ten years uh, while he was still here. And he was a political cartoonist living in Cuba. And when Castro took over... Proheus was drawing some very unflattering comic strips about Castro and his politics. And Castro didn't have a big sense of humor and basically put his name on a death list. So Antonio arrived in the United States with the shirt on his back. And he made his way up to the mad offices and didn't speak a word of English, but his daughter Marta, who I guess was about 10 or 11 at the time, (laughs) did speak English. So he brought brought her up to... uh, to translate, and I should parenthetically say that I knew Proheus so right to the very end, and he 
learned three words in all mm. his time in America. Hello, brother, and thank you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was the extent of his English. Yeah. So it made for some really interesting uh, uh, editorial discussions yes. when we were trying to tell him to change something. Perhaps the reason the strip was wordless. <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it was brilliant pantomime. And he showed up at the offices, and much of what he showed, then-editor Al Felstein and Nick Meglin, were political strips from Cuba, not much Matt could do with them. Mm-hmm. But then he had the beginnings of these two little pointy-nosed characters. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, maybe we can do something with this. And they started working with him. And like most things in Mad that have gone on for many, many years, like the fold-in and snappy answers, and even Alfred, it, w- it started as a one-off. And we said, well, maybe we can do another one. And then another one. And you know, 50, 60 years later, here we are still right, doing them. Right, And he, he did the first one, and he did the second one, and it immediately caught on. They're extremely well-known throughout the world. Uh, we're, we're always surprised. A friend of mine was just up in, um, not Antarctica, Iceland. <laughs> and she was coming in a ship, on a ship, and there painted on the dock, someone had graffiti, wow. two giant spies. She sent amazing. Me, yeah, she sent me the, uh, the photo of it. So, originally, they were positioned as a puckish commentary on the futility of the Cold War. Mm, I see. Uh, but obviously, the Cold War's come and gone. Now, I think it's more of a commentary on marriage. Mm-hmm. But that's my... <laughs> not that I'm bitter. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, I, you know, I think a lot of people might, uh, you know, project their own... Inter- yeah, exactly, it is sort yeah. of universal, because it is like... Uh, I, I mean, it's a little bit like... Um, my one of my favorite cartoons with the Warner Brothers cartoons is with the the sheepdog and the and the wolf, you know, uh-huh, sure. where they're trying to get the chickens, and then at the end of the day they clock out, and you know it's so clear that they're just doing this for, you know, somebody told them to do it, and they're not really <laughs> invested in it that much. Well, these these guys are they're invested to the death. Yes, they're, they are invested. Yes. As they say in poker, they're all in. Yes, they, yes. these guys are all in. Right. That's all they've been doing their entire lives, um, but. We're very careful when we when we do do it, and I should mention now that Peter Cooper has brilliantly sure. taken over the strip from Antonio, who passed away. Um, we're very careful to make sure that white doesn't win too often or black doesn't win too often, <laughs> because then the letters start flooding in, and I get enough hate mail without having to get even more hate. Mail. Wow, wow! But I mean, it is it is kind of this eternal, just this eternal battle, you know, and without yeah. without beginning end or you know battle without pity i guess you know i mean what do you think about it is about it that that's made it so popular uh i think the clear delineation of black and white is part Mm -hmm. of it i think that people tend to root for people who are all in Mm -hmm. um and the other thing is well i'll I'll answer this two ways one is they're just fun Mm -hmm. they're just fun proheus was extremely inventive in the way he would have twists and diabolical turns so that you never quite knew. Sometimes, as a reader, as a kid growing up, I was reading the strip, I didn't know what was going on in the strip until the last panel, or I had to go back two and three mm-hmm. times to figure it all out and say, oh, wait a minute, that that can really wasn't empty. That contained right. X, which right. then grew into Y and beat the other spy in Z, you know. So that's part of it. The other part of it, and I don't think Proheus gets enough credit for this, is he was an extremely talented illustrator and mm. designer. And I didn't appreciate this until I came to work here, and Nick Meglin and I had long talks about this. Um, But if you look at every panel, it's just this surreal elegance to every panel. But then when you pull back and look at the whole page, 
the whole thing works as a page as well. Right. So he didn't just dash these off lightly. They were extremely well thought out. And I know because I've seen his pencils as well. And then the other thing he would do was he would spend an enormous amount of time not only getting the ink line to vary in thickness, but then, and I'm going to show my age here, he used to use uh, Amberlith and Rubylith, mm -hmm. which, for people who don't know, were overlays so that you could control gr flat grays right. against the black and white line. And he would sit there with a, a, a straight-edge razor and just scratch away on it, <laughs> scratch away on it. And These he, kids today have no idea. No idea, no idea. <laughs> And he would have this pile of shaving on the on the table after he was finished, because frequently he would finish them in the mad offices. And um, and you'd look at this thing and you'd say, well, this is going to be a mess. And then when it was photographed and reproduced, you'd say, oh, my God, this guy knew exactly what yeah. he was doing. Yeah. I mean, he just has a great, great line, as you say. But, I mean, his mind is also just so inventive. I mean, it's it's yeah. total... Like slapstick. I mean, I imagine that if he hadn't been doing cartoons, he, you know, maybe in a later day he could have done storyboards or something because it's just his idea of physical action is so amazing. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, he, he reminds me a little bit of Wallace and Gromit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah. when, you know, and when they get their inventions going as well with that same sort of anarchy and fun. Right. So, so no, it's a great, it's a great tribute to him. Now, now you mentioned that Peter Cooper had taken over, the, and he he's still doing the strip, correct? Yes. So, I mean, how did you, you know, look to find someone to pick up this mantle? Because it does seem like Prohias is just so so unique in his talents, you know. And, it was I a mean, struggle. Um, originally, we had Don Edwing, who was a very inventive uh, writer artist for Mad, and he was doing a lot of the. Well, this is after Antonio mm. got sick and couldn't do the strip, uh, and we asked Don to ghost write them and then Bob Clark was ghost drawing them and Edwin was much more slapstick than even Proheus and Bob never quite got the the, the angular look that Proheus had so we, we were never quite happy with mm -hmm. that it, was, it had some highlights but it was never quite happy so then we literally put out word that we were looking for somebody and we got <laughs> I guess I mean me, me, well, we didn't put out word. We, we, we invited people in. Right. We, we did, we word, didn't just word yes, yeah. yes. Word got And I guess we went through 20, 25 submissions, and everybody was aping Proheus. And you could always see that it was just slightly off, but nobody was making it their own. Nobody was claiming it as their mm -hmm. own. And I had known Peter's work just as a fan. I, I stumbled onto him in a bookstore one day and immediately bought all of his books because I liked Peter's work. And I said to Nick Meglin, who was co-editing co at the time, maybe we should give Peter a call and he was also a, a writer as well we knew he wrote as well as I and we thought that the pairing of two people wouldn't be as good as if we could find right. a writer artist and we gave it to Peter and he was doing at his time his uh, airbrush stencil look right so immediately we knew that this would be a different look for the for the spies mm -hmm. and it would sort of mark a demarcation okay the Brohius years are over to a certain degree and we were still black and white at that point. At that point, man was still completely black and white. And Peter picked up the mantle and started doing it. And with every strip, he got better and better. And then, fortunately, not too soon thereafter, it went to color, which really was great because um, the coloring really helped Peter's style especially. Oh, yeah, he definitely he And has, then, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're, looking we're at flipping it. through this beautiful book as we talk. You should be jealous of it. So, <laughs> and then finally... Uh, Peter and uh, we spoke to Peter, and we both agreed that we we wanted to try to get even update the look even more. So Peter went to a line with color look 
but Peter Skull is a very vibrant, mm -hmm. and he also did a couple of things, again, to make the strip his own. He, he always does a terrific freeze up in the uh, beginning of the strip, then he'll do the main strip, and then he does, in a, usually it's a solid blue color, or tonal blues, um, a, a mini strip. Mm -hmm. And he does it in such a way that if you're looking at it on an iPad, it's impossible to read. <laughs> <laughs> like clever. Out, yeah. Very clever. So um, he's really, and I think this last part of it really invigorated Peter, and I think he's doing some of the finest work for spies that he's ever done. Um, and in fact, we have two mini collections of Peter's work that have done very, very well. Right. Well, you are. There's a lot of mad books. I mean, I also just got into the uh, office, and I think these are published directly through mad uh, little these little collections of like Wally Wood and Harvey Kurtzman. And, and the, uh, Wally Wood, Jack Davis, yeah. and Will Elder. Yeah, Will Elder, that's it. And, yeah. um, you know, these certainly belong on the shelf uh, of any comics lover. Uh, the, the great, great work. I mean, uh, you know, Mad Magazine, John, I mean, how did you get this dream job? <laughs> you know, did you, know, you bribe? Did you kill? Did it you? It was all by accident. It was all by accident. I, I, I have to be the luckiest person on the face of the planet. I say that with, well, Adam Sandler's got to be the luckiest. Mm. I'm well. sick. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, uh, it was just, it's something I had always dreamed about as a kid, reading Mad and wanting to write for Mad. But, at that point, Mad was a clothes shop. I mean, right. they just had the same amount of people working with them forever. So it was never even something that I aspired to and with any real hope sure. of getting anything. And the sure. other thing was, when I was growing up, even comedy writing wasn't necessarily a career. Now, kids go to Harvard because they want to become comedy <laughs> writers. You know, they want right. to go do that Simpson Saturday Night Live three-picture deal with Warner Right, Brothers, sure. You know, attract. So um, I started sending stuff up to Mad, and what we lovingly called the slush pile, which is just unsolicited manuscripts, and I promptly kept getting rejections, 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 and finally one day I got a little handwritten note from Nick Meglin, who was then the associate editor, and said, well, this isn't it, but keep trying, you're getting close. Wow. So when you're a freelance writer, right. that's... Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, because normally I was getting the rejection slips with the checked off boxes, and I kept at it, and soon, fairly soon thereafter, I made my first sale. And then that sort of opened up the doors a little bit. The, 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 my first sale, we got my second and my third, which is normally the case, because right. you usually don't get your first and right, your third right. without getting your second. Yeah. But, you know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, anyway, All right, well, um, So, and then one day I was up at the offices, and Nick said to me, you know, there may be an opening. Would you be interested? And you know, I was stunned at that point. And uh, sure enough, and I was the first person they hired in 24 years. Oh my God! I mean, that is so random yes. <laughs> in its own way, yeah. and yet, like, because uh, I mean, I know you and Nick, of course, were a dynamic duo for a long time. You know, when Nick goes back, um, now did he take over after Harvey Kurtzman left the magazine? No. No, there was no, a couple was, of others. Feldstein, it right? Was Kurtzman, of course, of course, Feldstein Kurtzman for a and very Feldstein. Long time. But Nick took over from Feldstein. Nick and I both took right, over okay. when Felstein left in 85. Right, okay. Like Felstein, we started in 85, Felstein left at the end of 84. And then Nick retired sometime in the 90s, oh. I want to say. But he had, he had a 50-year run. Yeah. No yeah. one's going to beat Nick. No. Nick even beat Gaines in terms yeah. of work for his length of service at MAD. So you are now... Last man standing. Are you going to... Is there an heir apparent? Do you know? Or if you... you know, What if you were to get, you know, something could happen? Not, you the know, God forbid. Me. Yes, yes. Uh, God there, forbid. There's a monkey. 
giving serious. Corbett's been giving serious consideration to. Yeah, he's he's a clever monkey. You know, not much on verbal skills, but I think he could jump in and do do what I well, do very easily. Well, I mean, I, you know, the question becomes. Uh, I mean, Mad is one of the great humor legacies of all times. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, the, you know, there's National Lampoon, there's Mad, but Mad has lasted so much longer. And uh, the cartoons, the comics in there are, you know, they're not just funny comics. They're, they're by some of the greatest cartoonists. Um, you know, so thank you, thank you, thank yeah, you. Yeah, well, you, I, I shouldn't have interrupted you. But I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything anyone doesn't know. I mean, you know, Sergio Aragones and and Al Jaffe still going in at his 93. 93 years old. I yes. mean, that man is just a, you know, laughter keeps you young. I mean, he's certainly <laughs> the proof of that. Um, but I mean, so many great cartoonists have come and uh, you know through this, and the, the legacy is so great. I'll be honest, I, I check out your website from time to time and. I laugh out loud. <laughs> that's a good thing. I still find it funny. See, that's what we like to do. We like to make people laugh. So this yes. is a, a yes. validation. Because yes. when you put it on the web, you don't hear people screaming. Yeah, you get a like, maybe. Yeah, you know, maybe, like yeah. this, maybe. Yeah, I mean, what... Uh, I don't know. How do you do it? How do you stay funny? Well... Is I, it possible? Well, part of it is I I'm s- surround myself with as many funny, smart people, people who are funnier and smarter than me. And they make, they make me look good. So that's that's always been the secret. Uh, going back to Gaines, Gaines never wrote a single word for the magazine, but he created the atmosphere to let funny people that he attracted really flourish, and I try to keep on that tradition. Um, so that that's part of it. Um, the other thing is to try to keep as current as possible, and it's a lot harder because just like news comedy is now a twenty four seven right uh, cycle. So we have the website. We we have a lot of books. We have the magazine and uh, a few other projects that I can't talk about now, but please stay tuned. You're welcome back when I can talk about them. And um, and we do the best we can. And like I said, it's really made us a very collaborative effort from beginning to end, from the blog, which starts every morning in this office with me and my, my staff just sitting here saying, well, what's in the news? What can we do? You know, very quickly with no money to really put on it. You know, welcome to the Internet. And uh, somebody might come up with an idea. Somebody might say, well, that's a good idea, but what if we twisted it this way? Somebody else could say, okay. And then they'll write the first line. Somebody write the second line. Somebody else will go back and rewrite the first line until it's all out So it's there. classic writing at table, basically. Yes, yes it, it very much is. It very, very much is. And that goes as well for our movie spoofs. You know, we'll, the, the writer will go and see a movie and... We may or may not speak before he actually writes, and we may have an idea and say, we're thinking about this angle for it. Or we may just turn the writer loose, and he'll come in with a draft. We'll give him notes. He'll do a second draft. It'll come back. Now it'll go to the art department. Now it'll go to editing. Editing might add some notes uh, or some jokes or whatever, and then it'll go to the art department. Sam Viviano, my art director, will lay it out. It'll go to the artist. He'll send in pencils. At that point, we noodle further, whether it be visual jokes or puns or whatever we're going to throw in on it. Then it goes back to the artist, Tom Richmond, usually. He throws in more, <laughs> and now now the final product's coming back. So at that point, there's a million fingerprints right, all over this. Right, Now, I mean, you have to be a little bit like... Um, stunted mentally? Stunted. <laughs> you can say it. Yes. No, I, I mean, you also have to be a little bit like... Uh, you have to lose a little ego with that kind of creative, creative process, don't you? I mean, you know, a lot of times... People are in love with a joke sometimes. You yeah. know, humor is so subjective. Yes, it is. And sometimes there's blood on the walls in the office. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but 
at the end of the day, the thing I really, and I've been around long enough now, it's just the product. Mm -hmm. It's just the product. How can we make it better? How can we make it better? That's really the prize at the end of the, at the end of the day. So, yeah, sometimes some good jokes get lost. Sometimes some bad jokes get in. You know? <laughs> Actually, that's more often the case. <laughs> yeah, but it is, it is, I mean, it is humor. Like I always say, it's very hard to, um, you know, criticize humor because people can think things are funny and others people don't. Well, I'll tell you what happened. We, a couple of years ago, we started the Mad Strip Club. Mm -hmm. And that was really as a way of introducing a whole new generation of writer, artists, and primo primarily writer, artists into the magazine. And a lot of the people who first submitted, and still occasionally try to submit, are people who were self-published or who were publishing mm -hmm. on the web. And they went into a big culture shock when they would get back their cartoons and say, well, this needs a rewrite here. <laughs> and, they, and Of course, it's something, it's a process they were, that was completely foreign to them. And some people did not respond well at all mm -hmm. and don't work for us. Right. You right. know, uh, there is, for better or worse, a mad voice, a mad point of view. We're always looking to expand that point of view and make it as, as large as we can. But at the end of the day, I'm responsible for the entire magazine. And there was one cartoonist in particular, who shall remain nameless, but who kept putting in dirty jokes and hidden things in the art and things like that. And, you know, he thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Look, you know, look what I'm getting over. And I had finally had to have the Walmart talk with him is what, <laughs> what we basically said. So, yeah, yeah, this is great. This is fun. You mm -hmm. won. You got this past us. But we're, we're selling in Walmart, uh, a big part of our distribution. And we don't want that product, that kind of humor on the mad brand. And nor does Walmart. Mm -hmm. And if we get thrown out of the Walmart and lose 50% of our distribution because, ha-ha, you got, you got a dick joke in, you know, <laughs> Who has the last laugh? Yeah. So he, well, us. He's no longer working for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is. It, it, it definitely is a fine line that way. And you know, yeah. I, I always say there's two kinds of, of, um, you know, the the group effort that you're talking about. You know, produce some absolutely you know magical genius genius works. No question about it. You know, but then uh, there is the lone guy sitting at his desk, like like Prohias. You know, I mean, I imagine he didn't need, I mean, too yeah. much editing, did well, listen, he? Or? No, no, very rarely, very rarely did we say no to something that Prohias did. I mean, he was just such a talent. Mm -hmm. um, and believe me, this book is concrete proof of it. Yeah, it, it yeah. really is just so solid. And um, it's interesting when we, I'll get back to what we were talking about, but I just wanted to mention this, that besides doing this book, we asked a lot of other artists from different right, from yes. different fields, from Lego, Nathan Sawaya, all the way to you know comic book artists and, and in between, to do a tribute to Prohias. I don't think we got turned down by anybody other than somebody who was like, oh, I'd love to, but mm -hmm. I'm on a deadline. Right. So in addition to all the Prohias is colored in this book and the Aragonists, there's also, uh, I guess it's 19 or 20 different pieces by artists from all over the world their tributes to man, mm -hmm. and it's such a diverse look and feel. It, right. it was really fun and fun to put together. That was primarily uh, shepherded by Ryan Flander, my associate art director, who really took the helm on that part of it. And also, again, we were looking for somebody to write an introduction, 
uh, Joe Rayola, one of my editors, uh, knew Lewis Black and mm -hmm. approached Lewis, and I think it took him about two seconds yeah. to say yes. I was going to say. And he wrote a terrific introduction for the beginning of the book. So a lot of nice pieces mm -hmm. came together. Yeah, there's some the great package. people in there. There's um, Tony Millionaire, uh, Evan Dorkin, um, Yuko Shimizu. Um, oh, she did an amazing um, Hers is gorgeous. Yeah. Darwin Cook. Yes. I love his. His yes. is like, the, like kind of this idea where there's... You know, at the end of the day, and yes. there you see where they're locked in their their struggle. But uh, yeah, no, th that really it it really is a tribute to the, just the the beauty of the of the art and the and the concept. You know, and the timelessness of the concept. Because honestly, I, I I you know you're saying it was about the Cold War. I'd kind of forgotten that. And when I was looking at the book, you know, I was just looking at them, and I was and then I happened to look at the bottom that said when it was originally published. It was 1961, and I was like, wow, yeah. I would they're not dated at all. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's really, a real timeless. It is. It's and that's very very rare. And so. people have taken such different looks at it. Um, I mean, Jim Lee put them in a post-apocalyptic world. <laughs> right. You know, so it's really, really diverse. And Tom Bunk did this giant two-page scene with a million spies. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's yeah, great. It's, and just total anarchy going on. But getting back to you, what we were talking about with the with the editing, just before you came, Tim Carville, who does Planet Tad for us, mm -hmm. one of our newer features, and Tim is a fabulous writer. I mean, he, he was head writer on The Daily Show for 10 years. Now he's the showrunner for John Oliver. And he sent in Planet Tad, and I read it, and I hit print, and I walked it into the art department. <laughs> right. You know, I, I didn't change a comma. So it, it, I didn't want to give the impression that we, right. everybody's all over everything. Not always. You right. know, it, how it comes in, it, you know, when it's terrific, it's terrific, and let's just go with it. And we try one thing, never to sideways edit. Mm -hmm. You know, never to replace a joke with just another joke. Right. It's, we have to replace the joke for a reason. Right. You know, if everybody says this joke isn't working, okay, that's a pretty good reason. If everybody in the room is not responding to it, it's got to be replaced. We give the writer first crack. If he takes a couple of swings and doesn't make it, you know, every, everybody on staff on the editorial side started as a writer for Mad. So that's really one of the prerequisites <laughs> to getting on staff. Uh, so when these situations occur, or when we're sitting in the blog meetings, I know that I have guys who can put funny on the paper. Right, right. You, I mean, you, you definitely have to have that. Um, I mean, what is still... I mean, there is... I, I just actually, uh, on my side, I just ran kind of an a, a interesting story about a magazine called The Devastator. Do you know The Devastator? I don't. It's, uh, it's actually... Well, <laughs> neither does anyone. It's, uh, it's a comedy magazine that was put out on the West Coast and uh, it'd been coming out for about five years, and they just said... It's print? It is a print. Yes, it's a print, right? Uh, print magazine. And they just said, you know what, we tried... We can't get anyone to subscribe to a humor magazine. But what they had done is do, like, books on the back. And those sold, like, like they would make it look like a book. And when they flipped it over and made it look like a book, it sold. And when they had it like a magazine, it didn't sell. So they're doing humor books. But, you know, it's hard to get people sometimes. On newsstands. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they yeah, they were trying limited distribution. Well, you don't think those are called, seriously, because no. we do them, too. They're called <laughs> bookazines. Right, 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 yeah. Yeah, and we've had a very good luck with them. We partnered with Time. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, and uh, we do four of those a year, and they've done very well for us. Yeah. Uh, I think there's, first of all, it's a really nice package. The, the stock is gorgeous. It's really glossy. It's perfect bound. Uh, the, the cover is heavy. Has, so there's a, a substantialness to it, and the art looks great, and um, there's a real collectability factor Right. Well, that's, that's what is interesting. That's what I was taking away from this story. I mean, you know, I mean, it is... It is challenging in the magazine world, you know, oh, God, and, yeah. and um, you know, I mean, how is your audience 
changing or shifting. I mean, you know. Well, I wish I knew. Because <laughs> any answer I give you may be void by the right. time you leave. Um, it's certainly challenging. The newsstand business is very, very tough these days. Uh, fortunately, we have a relatively healthy subscription base, but I'm certainly looking to build that even mm-hmm. more because newsstands just continue to deteriorate. The one bright spot has been the bookazines, which are twice the thickness of Mad and twice the price. Mm-hmm. So it's not a it's not a casual buy. It's I think a thirteen dollar buy or twelve dollar buy somewhere around there. But people seem to be much more open to buying that. You know, they seem to like they want to buy some kind of little discreet unit. You know, and know know yeah. what it is. I guess yeah. so. Well, there was a there's an article on the front page of the Times last week. I'm sure you saw it. That's saying that print seems to be the one place that is mm-hmm. fighting back against the internet and millennials especially want print <laughs> and uh, yes, I, I was reading i was reading on the staten island ferry and i dropped to my knees and thanked god i think people thought it was crazy but right. it's a true story yeah right so the hope springs eternal for right. us in the in the print biz well it is a you know it is an absolutely fantastic um uh you know legacy i i, I actually at comic-con this year uh, I interviewed for the same podcast. I interviewed a gentleman, and I can't remember his name, but he had written the um, the Scooby Doo versus Kiss movie, and then he Kevin said Shinnick. Kevin Shinnick, and then he dropped it on me that he had written this Mad cartoon, and I was like, "What?" Oh, he was he was the head writer on the Mad TV yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. ran into him in San Diego too. Yes. That's how I know I yes, knew he wrote yes, Scooby Doo yes. versus Kiss. <laughs> how I knew that name, yeah. which that was never, the only name I would ever know, which had never been done before. Amazingly, but anyway, yeah. I digress. Well, he and Sam Register and Peter Girardi out at Warner Brothers um, Animation did a wonderful job of taking the magazine and translating it into mm-hmm. a very kid-friendly, contemporary television show for Cartoon Network. And it ran, I guess, about four or five years. It was the yeah. number one show yeah. for months. Yeah, it ran it. four or five years. It and was I mean, wonderful. It was very, you know, maybe a little bit under the radar for some people, but uh, obviously it was a success. And, you know, of course, Mad TV, which was the show that everybody joked about because it was on, it ran for how long? 13 years. 13 years. I mean, yeah. it's unbelievable that this was such a sturdy show. And, of course, a lot of people came out of it. I was just going to say that. A ton of people yeah. came out of that that now are really onto their mm-hmm. own as well. But SNL just, SNL was like Trump. Right. of late night comedy. <laughs> just sucked up all the right. oxygen. That's but right. especially towards the end, we got any very big musical groups. And I guess, the, from my, our point of view, the Cartoon Network show was much more representative in the magazine, and certainly ushered in younger readers than we than we might not than we might have mm-hmm. seen normally. So I was very sorry to see them off. On the other hand, thirteen years of checks from Fox <laughs> for <laughs> the, show, the, the late night show right. didn't hurt either. Yes, yes. Well, it it is you know it, it, it that's why you know uh, branding is a dirty word to some, but I mean it has to be acknowledged that you know, Mad Magazine is is a very very sturdy. Uh, well, the concept. word I like to use is elastic. Yes. Because look at that. Yes. You got a late night show that's very edgy, and now you got a kids show mm-hmm. that was anything but edgy. It was right. fun, but it wasn't edgy. Right. And nobody questioned this as being a mad show, and I think that speaks to the to the brand and the magazine itself, because the magazine will one will have you know a fart gag on one page and great political satire in the next page. Well, that's what, you know, interesting what you were saying about the the cartoonist who tried to sneak in the dirty stuff. I mean, you know, there are some folks who, uh, you know, go for the gross out. And I mean, some of that's hilarious. Uh, you know, Johnny Ryan, I mm-hmm. mean, he's one. I, I'm personally not a fan of Johnny Ryan, but 
Uh, I know a lot of people think he's hilarious, and, you know, he does not hold back. Um, but I, you know, for me, it's like if you see humor where you don't have that to, you know, that to rely on. Right. It's so much, I, I appreciate it much more, I guess. Well, people have pointed to the lampoon as they had no place to go. Right. That, 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 that they pushed the boundary so far so that, okay, what are we going to do this issue? Matt has always had some self-imposed constraints. I mean, we still don't use four-letter words in the magazine. Now, has the magazine changed? Absolutely. We reflect society. So words like suck <laughs> still appear in the magazine. All right. But we'll use the word dick in the magazine, but we'll say, that guy's a real dick. We won't say that guy has a big dick. Right. You know, we still make <laughs> okay. those. We right. still parse it the like that. Idiomatic. Yeah. And the other thing is, more often than not, if we're going for a line that's a double entendre, it'll be in the words and not the pictures. So that if a younger reader is reading the magazine, it'll just go over their head. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's drawn, it's not going over their head. Right. So we, we do think about stuff like that. Right. Now, have you had any complaints from, from parents of late? or Not of late. You know, yeah. every once in a while you get somebody. I, I picked this magazine up for my eight-year-old son. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't the magazine that I grew up with. <laughs> right. You know, well, their mothers probably felt yeah, the same well, way when they were reading it. Yeah. Um, I, I know, right? Yeah. But <laughs> something happens when you become a parent. You know, you get more conservative. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by and large, no. And in fact... We're doing a readership study now, and the readership is actually older. I, th- I, w- I would guess now the average re- reader is in the 24 range. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's certainly, you know, millennials like their humor. There's no question. I mean, with the success of John Oliver and, you know, the new, yeah. uh, all the comedians who are, you know, getting their own talk shows and everything. Um, you know, I, I, I guess, uh, it looks like we're running out of time here, but, uh, you know, I have to ask, uh, what's Alfred E. Newman really like? <laughs> <laughs> You know, people always think that Alfred exists in the room, like, right, <laughs> like when the right. Simpsons came here, right, you know, right, and Alfred's right. walking around going, phone bone, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Not so. Alfred is to us what the Playboy rabbit is to the bunny, you know? And he is just the the face of the magazine. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's a great he's a great trope for us to go to when we're trying to do covers, mm-hmm. you know, especially, and he's instantly recognizable. The, the, the story I like to tell is back in the late 60s, early 70s, Someone in Europe just cut out Alfred's face, put it on an envelope with a stamp, and threw it in the mail, <laughs> and it arrived at the mad offices. Wow. There's something about that right. face, but I don't know what it is exactly, and we try not to analyze it too much right. because we may blow it. Right. Who designed Alfred and Newman? Came, actually, Alfred's been around since well before the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. There was a dentist. This is as far back as we can trace him. There was a dentist in Topeka, Kansas, named Dr. Romain, and he would take up signs on the side of the road, big billboards, with Alfred, a version of Alfred, he was a little, he had black hair and he was a little more pointy featured, and he'd be pointing to the missing tooth, and it said, "What me worry? I go to Doctor Romaine, the painless dentist. It didn't hurt a bit." Oh wow! And I, like I said, he appeared on postcards and on, in penny arcades and things like that. And Harvey Kurtzman, man's first editor, liked the face and would hand out those penny arcade postcards to the guys and say, "Draw him in the background of the magazine." Uh, and that's how his and he was known by many names Alfred E. Newman Melvin Kosnowski Mel Haney and when Mad did its first reader the Mad Reader uh, they just they saw the face well, Valentine Books editor I don't, I don't know who it was and put it on the book and called it the Mad Reader with Alfred's face and the book <laughs> went through the roof <laughs> so Felstein and Meglin are sitting back here and saying gee maybe and they literally said this maybe we have our Playboy Rabbit <laughs> and they put him on the the, the issue and ran it for president, and that was in 1956. 
and he's been on virtually every cover since. Yeah. Well, and they hired Norman Mingo to do what you think of as Alfred today. Right, he Norman made him Mingo. Cuter with Correct. the red hair. Right. And you know, Norman came to work for us to do that when he was 64. He answered wow. an ad in the New York Times. Amazing. And he painted into his 90s. Well, I just saw the cover, uh, I think it just came out the other day with Mad Max on the cover, and yes. it's Alfred and Hillary, and uh, I think Donald Trump is as a Morton Joe. And you know what? That's <laughs> That says it all. <laughs> that was he, done by Mark Fredrickson, yeah. who has been the cover <laughs> artist now for, I guess, the last 10 years or so. Yeah. Just a fabulous artist. Well, he nailed it. I'll yeah. tell you, he nailed it. So, you know, that's where we're going. And uh, luckily, as long as you have things like uh, Donald Trump uh, and Hillary Clinton, yes, uh, you will not run out of topics to write about <laughs> to, uh, for humor. So, uh, but uh, John, uh, thank you so much for your time. Again, Spy versus Spy, an explosive celebration. It's on sale October 6th, so you'll be able to get this at your bookstore or, uh, you know, please go to your bookstore, but if you're not near a bookstore, you know, Amazon is okay, but, you know, go to your bookstore. And, uh, John, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for keeping Mad Magazine going. Thank you for having me, and thank you for everyone out there who listened and didn't switch off halfway through. <laughs> and thank you for, especially to everybody who goes and buys this book, because we're very, very proud of it. Thanks.